Howdy, y'all. Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I'm Ben Fields. This is my podcast. You made it. Thanks for being here. I've got an awesome show for you today. One of my biggest influences and mentors, person who's really had a great impact on my career as a director and a cinematographer is, um, is in the house, and his name is Michael Figlio. Aside from Michael Underwood and perhaps Brian Allen, uh, M- Michael Figlio has had uh, one of the greatest impacts uh, on my career and has taught me so much and helped me so much on how to do the right thing, how to be a professional, and how to do it with love and how to do it for the right reasons. I'm so honored that Fig came and sat down with me. You know, me and Fig working together has been a really good example of how things come full circle in, you know, maybe every industry, but definitely in the film and television business. I worked as a production assistant with Mike Figlio about 10 or 12 years ago when he was a first assistant director on a job that came to Knoxville from from Austin, Texas. And Fig came in town and I had never seen anyone who ran a set with such efficiency, but also with so much love. And everybody went away at the end of the day, wishing there was more time that we could spend together. And I don't know how much you guys know about these production days that can sometimes be 12, 14, 16 hours long. A lot of times all you want to do is leave and go home. So if people are standing around at the end of the day of a 12 hour day, still talking to each other and engaging in a big old love fest, then you know that the ship was run the right way all day long. And that's what Michael Figlio does everywhere he goes. And he gave me some pointers on how to carry that with me. I got to admit Both of us were a little nervous going into this just because of what it is, but I think we got there and I think we got through it and we got some really amazing stories from a wonderful man and I'm excited for you guys to hear them right now. You ready? Here's my chat with my friend, my guy, Michael Figlio. We're doing the pop test. Cord goes on the left. You know that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) How's it sound? Sounds fine. Sounds good. Well, you would know. SM7s, that's the ones you want to use. I heard these microphones are like 40 or 50 years old as far as the models of them are concerned. Mm -hmm. At least, yeah. That's crazy. Uh, And, you know, it's either these or you you see the the, uh, RE20s in all the radio stations. Okay. And those are even older. Really? And still used today. Nice. You turn on the uh, the Bill Cody show. You know he his TV show is live from the radio station, and they're all using RE twenties. You know, been around since. I mean, Dad was using them. You know, so. if it ain't broke. Mm-hmm. I don't know you as a sound man. I've always known you as an assistant director. So. That's interesting because <laughs> I've been a sound man a lot longer than I've been an assistant director. That's for sure. Cheers, by the way. Look, I am. Love it. Mm-hmm. So, how did it start? You said uh, music school was a thing. Well, um, grew up in a very musical family. Um, Mom and dad were both performers before they got married. Okay. Um, dad came out of the Navy um, and got involved in music in the Navy. Got um, he became like a utility guy for the. the Navy band. Like a multi-instrumentalist? Well, only because out of desire more than anything. You know, um, he liked music and uh, um, 
um, started out just because he's, he, he loved to sing. When he was a kid, they used to put him up on the table, you know, and, and Mikey sing the songs and he would sing all the Italian songs for all the, you know, the family. And so he loved the attention. He went, you know, so he wanted to perform. He wanted his his thing was he he wanted the attention. Me, I'm kind of the opposite. Yeah. You know? um, but, what about mom? Um, uh, she um, out of high school um, got into a uh, four piece jazz ensemble, kind of uh, think uh, Manhattan Transfer, and was opening for Sammy Davis Jr. and wow, um, and. Uh, because of Sammy, she, dad was working at a club called Jilly's. Jilly was, uh, Jilly Rizzo was Sinatra's, uh, manager. Okay. And so dad was working at Jilly's, um, uncle Jilly's he became, <laughs> um, so, uh, dad was working for uncle Jilly and, uh, um, you know, hanging out with the Rat Pack. So when mom started singing, you know, opening for Sammy, um, you, you know, there was, there was a connection there. She met him and she'll tell you now that she's the one who pursued him. She actually had, um, was going out on a date and the guy said, where do you want to go? She goes, well, let's go to Jilly's. I hear that's great. So she wanted to go so she could see dad. She went on a date with another man so she could see your dad. And made him drive her. (laughs) Um, was it, was it all New York or New Jersey family? Is that where? Oh, dad's, um, was born in Steubenville, Ohio. Of course, Ah. Coincidentally, is where Dean Martin was born. Really? Uh, in fact, there's stories of Dean trying to date his older cousin. Your dad's older cousin? Yeah, uh, back in the, you know, <laughs> in the day, and uh, she wouldn't have anything to do with him. Really? You know? This guy'll never amount to nothing. Right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, you missed that boat, dear. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, so what was, what's the Italian connection? I mean, your whole family seems very Italian. <laughs> and did your grandparents come in? Okay. <laughs> it's funny because my son, you would think, which is right out of, you know. Uh, Central casting or yeah, something. Exactly. You, know, you, you get him talking about it and he starts to talk like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I've seen know, a little we, bit of that to your game. We, 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 we you know, we, Recently, uh, my son uh, decided, you know, he needed to get his grandfather to Italy to see where the grandparents came from. Gotcha. Um, his grandmother and grandfather on both sides, grandmothers and grandfathers on both sides, his father's parents and his mother's parents were both uh, born over there. So that's your parents and your wife's parents? No, 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 no. No. Dad's. Your dad's, dad's parents. parents. Okay, gotcha. His grandparents. Gotcha, on, gotcha, on, gotcha. Uh, I guess it would be fraternal and yeah. maternal grandparents. Okay. We're both born over there. Okay. Um, oddly enough, in the same village. Two generations, three generations back, mm-hmm. born in the same village. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seems so, pretty coincidental. Oh, uh, that's a, a, a real generous way of putting it. It starts to, you know, the first thing I'm thinking is uh, almost ancestral, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, it was back then, you know, everybody, it, it, it wasn't northern Italy where all of the uh, um, upper class lived. This was, you know, southern Italy okay. where um, there's a great... Um, 
documentary that Stanley Tucci narrates called the Italian Americans. It's a four part thing. I think you can see it on, uh, uh, YouTube, something like that. Um, my son started watching it and the first act is about a town in Pennsylvania called Rosetto, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, they came from Rosetto Valfatore in Italy and it's literally about their migration. You know, they came a hundred, you know, hundred some odd years ago and they were, it was the first fully, uh, or first township fully founded by Italian Im- immigrants in the States. About, yeah. In the States. And it talks about this, you know, the struggle of the, the town and, um, the cool thing I think that struck Michael and um, your and, son, yeah, my son Michael, and yeah, he's Michael the third, your dad, junior, yeah, dad. So when you say Michael Figlio, I'm going, okay, you talking about dad? You talking about Michael? Because you're <laughs> certainly not talking about me, right? <laughs> um, but uh, what struck Michael and me as well about that documentary and that first act is um, they talk about. You know the, the struggles that everybody was going through to get here. You know, um, mothers over there because they couldn't afford enough flour, couldn't get enough flour. They were adding um, like plaster mm. off the walls mm. just to, to to get enough uh, to to make a loaf of bread. But when they got here, um, they couldn't figure out. They there, there was a study done, and, and they couldn't figure out why there was no heart disease in this village in Pennsylvania. You know, in the fifties, was it the plaster? No. <laughs> um, but you know what? They, I bet you they didn't think about that part. <laughs> they had a team of um, scientists, doctors, coming from Oklahoma University and studied the town for three years. At the end of the three years, they were kind of dumbfounded because they ate all the wrong foods. <laughs> you know, the pastas and the the sausage and the meatballs and yeah. rich sauces. You know, drank right. a lot of wine. And, yeah. yeah, they should have prime candidates for heart disease. Right. The, they just decided that the reason why there was no heart disease in this village was because they didn't worry. Really. And the reason why they didn't worry is because they lived like they lived back there. Mm. They, you know, if I lose my job, you know, um, Joey's got a cow in a garden across the street. We'll eat. When I get old, I'm going to live in the same house with my kids because they're not moving out. We all stay in the same house. We live in this, you know, and they lived and took care of each other. There was a true community that was, you know, if you think about how things were done thousands of years ago, you know, biblical times even. Um, you know, you, you lived in your father's house. You got married, and everybody just moved in. You yeah, know, and you, when and when the the father died, the oldest son took over that, and everything was community within that family. Yeah. Um. So the things that we worry about: will I be able to buy my own house, and this, that, and the other thing? These people didn't worry about. Mm. And it wasn't until the '80s that they started seeing, um, any incidence of heart does any kind of heart disease in that village um, when people under the age of 55 mm. and that would they decided they were Americanized <laughs> exactly people people coming in and moving you know yeah. marrying outside moving in there and, and, and bringing and, the stress into the village exactly <laughs> I've always uh, been really amazed at your uh, 
I don't know if it's faith. I don't know what it is, but you've always got this attitude that it's just going to be all right. And I am uh, a little bit the opposite because I get so neurotic and stressed about, you know, when you and I work together, making our day, getting everything, getting out of here. And you're all I can always look to you for 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 a little bit. It's going to be all right, Mr. Ben. (laughs) And I guess it's just genetic, man. Well, uh, no, I don't don't know that it's genetic. Uh, I know for a a lot of years I, I I was really good at hiding all mm. of my nerves, um, you know, uh, and it wasn't the never let them see you sweat. It was if I start to panic, um, you know, the ripple effect of panic, you know, it's like lighting a match and throwing it in a tinderbox. <laughs> yeah. I mean, panic will, <laughs> you could, it'll just rip through things. Yeah. You know? But, but so to solve any problem, if I don't keep my head, I'm, you know, I'm toast. Um, but the opposite's true too, right? If it, it, positivity and 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 a, uh, an optimistic attitude is also well ripples to to that end. Um, you know, my grandfather always said, "Wisdom only comes." No, my father said, "Wisdom only comes with age." You know? Okay. And as I've grown older, I have seen the light of that. Uh, and yes, the older I've gotten, the more my faith is has become a huge part of that. Yeah. Um, to the point where uh, um, I realize uh, I can do nothing without him mm. and everything with him. Your God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Um, why do I want to try and play my hand (laughs) when you're not in control here? Right. Yeah. I mean, we're all human, man. We're all flawed. Every last one of us. So if you want the perfect answer, go to the perfect guy, (laughs) you know, it's pretty simple. (laughs) You know, the math that works real well. Uh, the only thing I got to do is believe that's the only thing he asks of me. So why not? I think back to it works, you know, yeah, (laughs) you talk about if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's been a a truth throughout the ages. uh, I've always been so impressed working with you and how much you can get stuff done. And I think back, I think it was was probably 10 years ago uh, when I worked with you for the first time as a production assistant on a shoot for uh, for beef and pie out of Austin. Mm -hmm. And. I was just enamored with this dude, Michael Figlia, who everybody called Fig, and how he could bring this ship of 60 people together and move them all in the right direction and get it all done. And is the, you know, people who assistant direct have different styles. Um, but as I've, as I've moved on and, and as I've done, as I've done some assistant directing myself over the years and, and as I've done some directing, um, I think I can look back to you as the person who shaped that in me the most, especially assistant directing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not because we always get it done. Uh, and, and usually with a smile. Um, and, and the first time, uh, that, 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 uh, that I met you, it was, you know, we, we'd gone on a scout that day and then, uh, w- went back to the hotel. I was doing some production work with the production team 
and I and I uh, we go over to Figs Figs hotel room, and I think we were at an extended stays or something like that. And you were making a, an Italian dinner with a bottle of wine. You had a stove and everything going in the hotel. I was like, I love him already. I loved him on the scout, but I really love him now. Well, it, it all revolves around food. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, if, if if you can't eat right. Um, but how do you how do you how do you rally how do you rally folks how do you stay positive because a lot of it comes back to being seemingly from an from the outside looking in like it's on on your shoulders to keep this ship moving so many people look at you on set to get to get things done and that doesn't that doesn't stress you out um you know when i first started ading it wasn't about stressing out it was the challenge um mm. I worked with a producer um, who um, was one of those people for me, and she used to say, "Fig, you just need another hill to climb, don't you?" You know. <laughs> and for me, it was it, it was that you know to prove to myself I could do it. You know, um, uh, natural problem solver. Well, I don't know. Um, second grade, I think it goes back to. <laughs> Here we go. I love it. Um, good Catholic boy went to Catholic schools my my parents we moved to Nashville and they started me at St. Henry's Catholic Church and school and back then um, first through eighth grade we started every morning at mass mm. and the nuns you know second grade you get in your first holy communion and uh, you go up and you receive the host which as a Catholic we believe is the true body of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. it's not just this host it is him Okay, that's what we believe, and it's hard for a lot of people to understand that. But so the reverence that follows that, you know, what are you supposed to do once you've received this? Well, the nuns say you're supposed to go back to your pew, kneel down, and and pray a really um, a very reverent prayer. Mm -hmm. Pray to him. And so, well, what do you pray for? Well. You need to come up with what your prayer is. <laughs> and don't ask me where this came from. But I vividly remember my prayer was I asked for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Um, you know, I don't know that I knew then, but I knew that all wisdom, okay, everything good comes from God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe three persons in one God. Um, and the Holy Spirit is that wisdom. Mm. Um, and I felt, you know, my grandfather, uh, uh, he, I was very young when he had three strokes and became paralyzed. And, oh, and, and you know, his thing was, um, again, I vividly remember one day, I'm at home in bed sick. He's visiting. And because I had some kind of a virus, mom quarantined me for the, from the other kids. So I'm in my brother Don's bedroom. She's got me on the top bunks where I, where I really can't go anywhere. <laughs> and I'm doing the thing that most kids do when they're sick and they're at home. And they're, you know, I'm whining, mommy, mommy, mommy. <laughs> and she's pregnant with another kid, you know, I think it was Mia or, or my brother Tommy, and, and she's trying to take care of me, and she's got Pop there, and he just loved my mother to death. And he was a short man, 
Okay. I remember him never really, never, I never heard him raise his voice. And he comes in that bedroom, and I see those Coke bottle glasses come up over the back of the bed there. And he goes, Mike, shut your mouth. And I was like, oh, man. I never, it just froze, you know. And he starts to go, what's the matter with you? He goes, can't you see your mother's busy? He goes, why are you always running your mouth? Don't you know the wise man? He's the one who listens. Don't you want to be a wise man? Shut your mouth. Listen. And that's what made you want the wisdom? Oh. So I figure, okay, there's my prayer right there. I want to be a wise man. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, and I mean, you look back in the Bible, wise men came to see Jesus. You know, hey, seems to be the thing to do. <laughs> so Catholicism is big in, in, the, in the Figlio family. I mean, it's like, you know, your, your, your memory of, of mass, second grade or whatever. It oh, is. Yeah. I like, mean, <laughs> and it was every day for the first eight years of school, you know, really? first through eighth grade, we went to mass every day. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was a big part of my life. Um, well, and, and then it's got all the, it's got all the, 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 the signs. It sounds like big families, uh, abound in the Figlio clan on both sides. Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, mom and dad, they had six. You're you know? one of six. I'm, one, I'm the second where'd of you, six. Where'd you, you second of six. Second of six. You got brothers and sisters both, huh? Yep. Four, there's four boys and three, two girls in, in our family. Okay. You know, and dad had six. I always wanted to be half the man he was, so I have three. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, you've got two boys and a girl? Yes. He yeah. had um, uh, two boys, two boys, girl. Um, he went two bo- two boys, girl, boy, girl, boy. Okay. All about two years apart, except for um, 67 when we moved to Nashville. They missed a beat because they were in the middle of a move. Okay. Yeah. You know, so there's a four-year gap in there in the okay. middle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. within 12 years, six kids. Oh, man. So I decided, you know, when we got married, I told Robin, I said, look, you know, we're going to have you know, eight kids. And she said, no. So I negotiated my way down to four. You know, and I said, great. We agree on four. Cause she's one of four girls. I said, oh, wow. okay, now that we agree on four, okay, we're going to have two girls, two boys, a girl and a boy in that order, two years apart, just like my dad did. <laughs> she said, oh, right. Cause that's your choice, right? That's your okay. decision. He had his first at 28. Mm-hmm. I had my first at 28. Okay. He had his second at 30. I had my second second boy at 30. He had his first girl at 32. I had my first girl at 32. Well, it's kind of like you drew it up, Fig. No, it just... <laughs> did I wish it into being? Is this a faith thing? Or right. was God just laughing? He was going to go ahead, let me let me have my way. I don't know. Yeah. So... so- you guys moved to Nashville in '67. Where, where did the where did the Figlios and this mom, dad, six kids? Where'd y'all start out? Well, Dad, um, he was working for Columbia Records. He again, he moved to, to out of the Navy. He got into a, a big band, was fronting a big band, wanted to become a singer, entertainer, want to be up in front of the crowd. Figures New York's the place to do it. Sure, goes to New York. Or enrolls in the uh, Academy of Dramatic Arts or something like that um, in classes with Redford and Beatty and those guys and um, trying to make the music career happen and 
literally is in a studio one night and cutting a demo to try and sell himself as a singer. Mm-hmm. And guy rolls a tape. He starts singing in the middle of the song. Hold up, Mike. Hold up, Mike. So he's sitting there. What did I do? Did I screw up? You know, he's his little performance anxiety. But he wanted it bad enough to where he could fight his way through it. Um, start the tape again, you know, halfway through the song. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, Mike. And he sees him talking in the booth. He's starting to freak out. So he finally comes in. What, you know, am I doing something wrong? He says, no, nah, no, nah, the machine's broken. And, you know, it's, it's late at night. The guy, engineer can't come in to fix it. We're just mm. going to do this later, yeah. you know. And uh, Dad says, well, what's wrong with it? And he was in electrical engineering in the Navy. So he gets up in there and fixes the machine. They finish the session. Well, nothing comes from the demo, but they call him back to engineer, start engineering sessions. Because <laughs> he can fix stuff that, that he, their engineer can. He can fix stuff, <laughs> and he's got a knack for this. Come on, you're yeah. a musical guy. You yeah. can do this. Yeah. And so he starts you know, uh, his recording engineer um, career there. At Columbia? Well, no, this this was at a, I think they called it Nola Penthouse Studio. Okay. So just at a studio at a, at in a, New York, yeah, Manhattan? boutique, boutique, yeah, boutique place in, in Manhattan. And um, in the couple of years that he's there, um, uh, he's getting ready to leave to go home. He's now married, has kids. Uh, so he's got a good good gig. Uh, well, he's and a pension from the military, I guess. It's it's like a freelance gig, like we got. Yeah. So okay, you call it a good gig. It looks good to, from the outside, but you know what that is. <laughs> well, it looks good enough to have kids in Manhattan, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever that meant back in the early '60s, right? It may so, have been easier. Yeah, you had that was an interesting time in Manhattan. So one day he's in there, he's trying to leave, and this uh, this black preacher comes in. He's bringing his daughter. You know, we got to get this demo done, um, and you know, he's got uh, interviewed. It. He's want to try and get her. She's an incredible singer. Dad's trying to get out the door before they. Oh, Mike, Mike, you need, you need to stay. You need to. No, I can't. But my wife. Okay. And so they start the session, and now he can't leave because he don't want to leave. Right. Because she's really good. Yeah. And they finished the session, and Dad had been trying to get his way into Columbia Records, you know, to to get into the union shop to where he can make more money because he got kids and he's got yeah. you know. But at Columbia, you don't start in the studio. You got to start at the bottom of the rung, and you got to you yeah. know make work your way up. Yeah. You, you start down in, in uh, mastering where you're cutting the lacquers, then you get to move up to remix, and then from there you move into the studio. Well, he knows some guys over there. He's been trying to get in. He says, look, let me go see if I can get this over there. And so he takes it over to his buddy, and, and they say, you know what? Trying to get this record that he yeah, just cut on this girl? To, to help this girl yeah. sign a deal. He takes it over to Columbia, and they say, nah, and then you, you know, the, um, she's amazing, but we're not really doing this kind of stuff. This mm-hmm. isn't our cup of tea, but take it over. Send, to send them over there to Atlantic. But, you know, So they go over to Atlantic, and they sign Aretha Franklin then. <laughs> <laughs> but because Dad showed he had a pretty good ear, they find a spot for him in the bottom rung over there at Columbia, coming okay. in doing the graveyard shift overnight, mastering. Yeah, the BCD room or something like that. <laughs> well, you know, the, you go in the studio, you've got all the musicians, and you actually capture the, the recording. Mm-hmm. Then you take what they capture, and you mix it and get it ready. Mm-hmm. Okay, and once it's mixed, then you take it down, and you literally, there's a lathe that has a needle and it cuts a groove and a soft piece of vinyl. And from that, they make plates to press out the records. 
Well, he's down in mastering. You got to start there, and then you move cutting up. Cutting the grooves. Cutting the grooves. <laughs> and then you move up, and you move up. And he's in there doing a graveyard shift one night. Tony Bennett's up in, in there with the full orchestra. And they get done early. You know, they got 20 minutes left in the session. They got the whole orchestra. They well, let's not waste this. Here's a song that we weren't even planning on doing. Let's just throw these charts out there and see what happens. One take. This is a smash. We got to get this out. Who can mix this? Well, Figlio's done a mastering. He's done that. We can get him to mix it, and they can master it. And we'll, we can have it on the presses, you know, tomorrow morning. So he mixes, and they master it, and get it on the presses. And within a couple of days, it's in all the radio stations. And I left my heart in San Francisco it becomes a huge hit. <laughs> and your dad mixed it. Dad mixed it uh, 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 because he was in the right place at the right, right time. Right place, right time, and capable too. And so, so now he's got a nice little foothold in Columbia, and he's you know he's the guy doing good. And they they bring an apprentice um, uh, producer in, a guy named Bob Johnston. Um, he's from Texas, um, but you know uh, kind of an extravagant kind of guy, um, and um, he starts working with Dad. Um, and they start having some small successes. Um, I think they did a uh, um, Patty Page thing. Uh, she was on the backside of her career, but it's one of the first big hits from a movie soundtrack. She, they cut a song for her over a movie soundtrack. It does well. So they want to give him something else, but they've got this young singer, songwriter, troubadour kind of kid that they don't know what to do with. So they throw him at the Bob and Dad, and they start working with him. Um, he's from Minnesota. Oh, I know where this is going. Right. <laughs> so he gets hooked up with Dylan. Yeah. Right. Um, and um, and Johnston, the producer, also gets handed Simon and Garfunkel between their, actually when they cut Sound of Silence and when the actual Sound of Silence album came out because it kind of, they cut it long before it was on an album. But anyhow, he's in the middle of all that mix and just really on some cutting edge stuff and Bob's doing so well with Dylan that they say, okay, we're going to give you, you can have your choice. You can go to London and take over to London office or you can take over to Nashville office. Well, Johnston's from Texas, so let's go to Nashville. And so he moves to Nashville and dad says, okay, see you later. I'll, I'm staying up here in New York because my wife, she's born and raised in New York. She's not moving down there. Well, they start flying dad down on Monday and flying him back on Friday. <laughs> this becomes, a, you know, and eventually... Mom has to be convinced to go down. Yeah. Um, How so many kids are there at that point? Four. Four kids. At that yeah, point. So he moves the four of us, kids and mom, down to Nashville against her will. Right. She, in fact, made them, made Columbia sign a contract that if she doesn't like it within a year, they got to pay all the expenses to move her home. <laughs> but once she got down there and realized there were Catholic churches and they did yeah. have paved roads and yeah, nobody yeah. rode horse, horses, you know. Yeah. Um, there were shoes on feet. Yeah, there were shoes like on feet. Yeah. Yeah. She was okay with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so... What was um, Nashville like at that time? I mean, from what you remember, from what, you, what you've heard, because we know what it is now, but... I mean, just what it's been, just what it's become in the last 10 years is different than what it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know? Nashville is, and the change in Nashville is is not a, um, it's not a, uh, you know, a straight line change. It's it's logarithmically. It's, yeah, it's exponential. You know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you look at the how it's ramping up. Um, the change that we've seen over the last 10 years, well, the last five has been, you know, double that. Right. And, and 
you know, the last uh, two. <laughs> my, my, my son, Michael, is um, working for the fire marshal's office inspecting buildings, and they do not have enough bodies to inspect all the new buildings that are yeah. going up just because it's going up so fast. Right. What is it, the tall and skinnies that they're they're, they're knocking down one house and putting three on the same oh, lot? It's crazy. In every neighborhood. It's, and that's just the residential. I mean, yeah. he's he's in um, commercial. In commercial. Yeah. And, and um, just inside the loop, the interstate loop there, there's so much construction going on. Sure. At one time, um, there were more um, super cranes in Nashville than in, in all the other cities combined. Yeah. They, I, I remember looking it at was, the skyline and counting 20 or 30 cranes just it, from where I was sitting. It was at a insane. Restaurant. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, and it's not letting up it's right. crazy i mean you've got people that commute from 65 hour 15 hour and a half away almost damn near alabama that commute into nashville oh, yeah. every day to work oh, yeah. and I they're mean, paying through the nose for real estate you know, uh, a lot of the crew here you know i see in nashville all a the lot time. of the knoxville crew a lot of the knoxville crew i see in nashville all the time and yeah. and um again to me part and parcel of that growth is you're seeing Knoxville growing and Chattanooga growing and and, and Memphis uh, things happening in all of these cities um, because of that um, mm-hmm. uh, it just it it spreads um, but it wasn't uh, that in did you say 67 67 it, it, what, it was just a small uh, town right yeah it was it was any, um, any high rises or anything like that at the time or uh, you know there was there's you know uh, you could count them on, yeah. on both hands downtown it's still uh, the capital I guess but that the capital, but, but but back then it wasn't the largest city in the state. It was Memphis? Memphis was always the largest city. Yeah. And back then, the license plates, the first digit on the license plate was um, the rank of population. Gotcha. So Nashville's two. license plates were always two. Yeah. Memphis was always one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it um, and Knoxville hold, held three because of. The university. The university, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, it, it, you know, it, it was small. The thing that um, I think um, we all loved about it was um, because of the entertainment industry uh, and its geographical location. I mean, Nashville sits within, uh, what is it, uh, f- you know, 500 miles of back then, um, you know, eighty percent of the population of of the country. Know, the country. Yeah. Um, so you were. It was a. It was a, geographically a good location, and so many interstates came through. Mm-hmm. It was shipping and trucking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You could get what you needed, um, uh, and still have small town um, living. Um, you know, when I got old enough to start having a family um, and, and was already in the industry, um, like a lot of people, I could have gone to New York or L.A. and made a whole lot more money. Right. Um, but if you're going to raise a family, um, to me, it was a much better environment to raise my family in. Um, and part of that was because that's where I was raised. And, it, and it, I felt very blessed with the upbringing I had. As I've gotten older, I've come to recognize that um, the majority of your upbringing is based on your parents, you know, and, and how they uh, choose to raise their family. Um, and with the what society kind of lays on us now, um, it's difficult 
to to understand um, how important it is to be there. To, uh, you know, kids, the most valuable, valuable thing um, you can ever give your children is your time. Yeah. I you think know, I see what you're saying. I mean, <clears throat> and, and, and in this day and time, there's not a lot of careers out there that even allow for that. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to do more, you know, be more, yeah. put more time in, achieve more. Right. And, and the idea of that status, that, 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 um, you know, um, building something for yourself, um, uh, it, it doesn't leave a lot of room for that. And I felt prey to that early on, you know, as a freelancer, you don't ever want to turn a job down because you, somebody else will take your place, right. you know? Um, yeah. Well, I see so, so many people in, in our industry, in the film and TV industry, freelancers, especially, you know, and I, I don't call them out like this, but there's a lot of people in their second and third marriages because it's hard The on a family. The lifestyle is hard on a family. And, you know, you couple that with living in a market like Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, where you're driving an hour, no matter where you're going, I guess kind of what Nashville's becoming a little bit too. Um, you add that on top of it and it's hard on a, it's hard on a family. And if you got young kids, you can't be working 12 hour days and have any part of their life. <laughs> and I, and yeah. And I, I used to believe that, you know, yes, this industry is hard, but it's not the industry. It's the choices we make. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, there are people, um, albeit fewer than you uh, would imagine, that understand, you know, um, that uh, where you put your priorities and your choices make all the difference in the right. world. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, it took me a long time to, to figure that out. Um, you know, I... I have actually gone to the point of apologizing to my kids and saying, I wish I would have done this and spent more time with you earlier. And of course, because it's all they knew, mm -hmm. you know, dad, we're fine. You know, you did a great job. Well, it seems uh, like you've maintained a great relationship with them because it's main, it's, it's, uh, continued to be a priority since you were a kid coming from a good fam family and passing that down. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's mindfulness and, and choices, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, where do you, you know, what is truly important to you and and that what is truly important to you is where you put your time your money you know what's what you think about yeah you know all those things become your ideal and yeah. if your ideal is being a filmmaker well that's your priority right and family takes a back seat to that right if your ideal is to um uh, to be a good person Okay, that doesn't preclude that you can't be a filmmaker, <laughs> but you know it, it, it allows for, um, to me, a, a, a bigger breadth of. Um, There's more options of what you can be, and more options how you can spend your time, and what you have to give. Mm. You know, I, I, I've come to a place where I've recognized that and, I, and somebody asked me yesterday on the, on the set you know uh, one of the new folks that I've been working that 
were on set with us yesterday that I hadn't worked with before. They said, what do you really like doing? What type of film work was your favorite? You know, And my stock answer anymore is, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Okay, um, Because where I'm at is what I do is not anywhere near as important as who I am when I'm doing it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I don't care about what I'm doing, whether it's a commercial or a, you know, that is inconsequential. Now, who am I doing it with? Who do I get to be around while I'm doing it? What do I get to share? <clears throat> I mean, we as a, as a species, as a, as as humans, we were designed to be in community. Mm-hmm. We we're designed for relationship. Yep. And until I stop thinking about me and what I want, and start thinking about the person in front of me, I I got no choice, no chance of having any kind of relationship that has any meaning whatsoever. And everybody, you know, it comes back to this. You ask me, how do I motivate people? I don't motivate people. Okay, it's it's not my way. Um, you want to get the best out of people. Make a, make sure they know that they matter. <laughs> That's all we want. <laughs> you make someone feel like they matter, and you'll get their best. I don't need to motivate people. I just need to know that, you know, today you you matter. Do that, and watch what happens. Yeah, it's really, it's easy when, for me, when you, when you're around, um, and I don't know, I feel like you do so much of the heavy lifting when we work together. And, and so it's easy for me to feel like, you know, when was the last time you saw me pick something up? Really? Heavy lifting? Come on. (laughs) You never say it's not my job, you know? No, but you do a lot of the, a, a, a lot of the things that I, that I normally have to do on a set and, and you do it and it's very easy for me to feel like I'm not bringing as much to the table like almost why do I even need to be here and I got to thinking about it last night and I was talking to somebody about it last night and yes you do 100% every time I work with you I know that I matter and I know that everybody around us feels that coming from you but there's this there's this thing that happens when I when when I can rely on you to free my to free up my mind to free up what I'm thinking or my what my responsibilities are on a set I can place I can place that effort elsewhere so I trust you 100% that that everything is going to be fine I don't have to worry about that so guess what I can worry about something on the other end of the spectrum which is how do I make this better I think that's why they put the title assistant in front of director i'm supposed to assist you right so that you can do those things yeah but it's 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 almost people i've heard say that you know that that when they get in that in that trapping of like well i feel like i'm not even bringing anything to the table here what you don't realize is you're supporting and and the support that you give is allowing magic to happen and that is as important as that's as, that's that's as that's the most important job if you ask me well again i have to credit dad um you know 
for a guy who worked with Tony Bennett and Simon Garfunkel, Dylan, down here in Nashville, it was Cash, it was Christofferson, it was Marty Robbins. Um, I was, as a kid, you know, um, that was all I ever wanted to do was just be like that. Uh, a, a music guy or just around the music people or what? Or be the I, thought it, I thought it was a music guy. I thought yeah. it was an engineer. I thought it was that. But I, I now, dad. That's who. That's what you want to be? Your dad. Let's see. I've, I've heard you. You've told me a few anecdotes about your dad. And. Um, well, my favorite one that I try to apply to pictures. He was talking about records. He said, Michael. Your job as a sound engineer has very less to do with the right microphone or the right studio or, or or the right recording device. Your job as an engineer is to recognize that when that musician walks through that door, he's not coming in to play half his best that day or, or a third of his best that day. He's coming to play the very best he can that day. And we all have bad days, so whatever he can do that day, he's going to do his best. Your job is to recognize that if you create an environment that is so comfortable for him, that his best that day might have a little magic, capture that. I don't care if it's a cassette recorder. You know, some of the most amazing you know, recordings, revered recordings ever made were made on such antiquated equipment to what we use today, you know, and sound nothing like what we can produce today, but the magic's still there. They captured the magic. You that can't was the hide part it. they got. So how do I go about doing that in film? If the grips don't feel like they matter, or the PAs don't feel like they matter, if somebody's having a bad day and I don't pick up on that, Again, it's like that match on the Tinder. Mm -hmm. How do we create an environment where everybody feels that magic? And if everyone's feeling it, then when that actor steps on the set, you got a chance now. Just be, be ready with the trigger. <laughs> I don't care what the lighting is. It could be the worst lighting in the world. But if you capture the magic, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. That's why you're a secret weapon, Fig. I mean, so many people don't think in those terms. So so many people think in terms of budget or of what their vision is, and they don't think about, you know, what the synergy of a whole uh, of a whole group can do. That's extra, where two plus two can make five. You know, and and as far as I'm concerned, if that magic doesn't happen with that actor. The magic that I've had with that craft service person or that grip or that gaffer, I take that with me. I win. They win. doesn't matter what ends up in the camera because, again, we're designed for relationship. Yeah. That's what matters. That's lasting. Yeah. There's legacy. I, I can get behind. And I mean, like I said, that's that's what I saw in you the first the first time that I worked with you. It was a special, it was a special feeling. And then you know, ten years later, seven years later, eight, whenever it was, you know, where Pop Fizz is growing to a point where you know our budgets are becoming uh, a little better, and I can get a crew that I that I want. And they said, I said, can I please have an assistant director on this? 
<laughs> said, yeah, what's that? <laughs> I was like, I'll show you. Uh, let me find Michael Figlio's number. I hadn't talked to you in five or six years. I don't know why you said yes. I don't know why you came up to work. You asked me. Well, I know, but you don't, I mean, you don't, you already said that, you know, you, I don't know. The, the, it's not about what I'm doing. Yeah. So I get to do it with. Yeah. Well, you're part of the family now. You, you can go nowhere, big boy. <laughs> you're not allowed to. You understand Italian families, don't you? Yeah, I feel like careful, I'm part of careful, careful what you ask for. Once you're in, you never get out. <laughs> I feel like I'm in it, man. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> but I've always... One of the things to me that has that I've strived for and I've tried to, to take from you because of... I think it's important is you know so much about so many different parts of what we do and you don't try to be an expert in lighting you don't try to be an expert in acting you don't try to be an expert in you know in, in other departments but but you seem to know about all of them and you know about the craft of filmmaking and you know how to communicate with those that that are the experts and yes it's the it's the people part of it that you always make everybody you know, feel great, but you seem to have a, a different level of knowledge in all of these different crafts in filmmaking. And uh, how did that, how did that come about from just having to do everything starting out? My grandfather said, Michael, you want to be a wise man? <laughs> Watch, listen and learn. Yeah. And then I prayed for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit second grade in parochial school boom yeah. i watched i you know throughout my career when i'm on set i watched you know everyone the best and the worst yeah and you see cause and effect yeah discerned it you, you, you do it this way <laughs> oh that 20 by just blew over and crashed through that windshield yeah that's not a good way of doing it right okay we got 40 mile an hour winds and that 20 by ain't moving that guy's got it going on okay you know and 40 years in the business yeah you know you watch and, you, and pay attention my dad used to go michael because his grandfather used to tell him mikey pen attention you pen attention <laughs> pen attention is that penitentiary or what are you saying there dad <laughs> pen attention mikey and so i tried to you know and and then recognizing, you know, relationship. Um, if I'm really watching and I'm watching you try and figure out what it is that you need, what it is that you're saying. Um, I've always felt that one of my gifts is being able to read people. Mm. Um, and I've always tried to bring that to the AD position. You know, because some directors, they have amazing vision, but they can't explain it to me. They know what they want, but to be able to explain it to the grip or the or, or the, the gaffer or the client, okay, how do I put it in, take, I'm a translator, yeah. and I never leave the English language, <laughs> okay? <laughs> take what you're trying to say and what he's trying to understand and help that communication happen. Again, if I work on relationships with every person I'm, I'm around, if I take the time to really not just 
hi there, how you doing? And on with my business to know you. If I take the time to know you, then it helps me to know when it comes time to know you, you start to learn. That's it's like, it's, it's, it's like muscle memory taking time to, we don't take the time to know people, you know, to understand people. And without taking the time to know them, how can I really know what you want? How can I, and how can I explain what you want to him? If we're going to work as a team, you want everybody on the same page, you know, but if, but if you can't explain to me what it is that you want, how do I get the rest of this team behind that? That's what's amazing to me is that you, it's that same thing I was talking about, you know, you know what everybody's doing, but you also know how to, how to translate it from this one guy who knows his vision, this director, but you're disseminating the information in the right direction at the right time. So everything comes together for that split second. And it, in our case, the commercial we've been shooting, the commercials we've been shooting this last week, it's two seconds that we're looking for, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's getting all these things to all happen at that two seconds. <laughs> got a lot of faith. <laughs> I mean, it just, I mean, if you think about it in those terms, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. And it's, it's, you've got, you've got to distill personalities. You've got to distill craft. You've got to, um, you, you've, you've got, you're dealing with sound, you're dealing with light and you've got to get all of these different things to happen for one and a half to two seconds <laughs> so we can move on. And, and, and again, you know, um, being in the business as long as I have, um, and again, wanting that knowledge, that wisdom, you know, I took the time to try and, you know, I, I've played every position on the team. Yeah. Okay. The only thing I have not done is wardrobe. Hmm. Okay. But I've worked around some of the most amazing wardrobe stylists you'll ever be around. Um, Yes, I have done makeup. I see it on your face. I have done makeup. It wasn't pretty, but I have done makeup. Um, uh, but to me, it, in my early career, it was wanting to know and the curiosity mm. of why you do it that way. Right. And see, to me, I thought it was um, about – because I, I – I was always the kid that liked to take stuff apart, try to put it back together. Yeah, the, v okay. the VCR, the television remote, whatever right. it is. And most of the stuff never got back together the way it came apart. Oh, bummer. Had some screws left over, did you? Always. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was that, that curiosity. Yeah. Okay. But what I come to find out was not only it was why the flag works better, you know, if if you, you know, put it in the, the gobo head so the weight of the flag is actually tightening you yeah, know yeah. the head instead, instead of, of loosening, loosening it up, it up. Yeah. but it was what was in your mind is why you're putting the flag that way and why you're turning it you know the bottom of it away from talent so that you were softening the top edge those kind of things yeah you know and but recognizing that it was more about your thoughts on why you're doing it than the actual mechanics of it. Mm. I found that what I was most interested in was was that person. Yeah. So it comes all right back to those these relationships, okay? If I can make sure that every member on that crew 
feels their input is important, then I don't have to worry about making everything happen at the right time. They mm. will. Mm. Because because yeah. they know that they matter. Yeah. And they do. And when they are felt to feel that way, they're all professionals. Watch them go, man. Cut them loose. <laughs> it's like I felt for so many years in this industry, we were putting bridles on everybody and holding them back. You can't do anything without, you know, let these people run, man. Yeah. They're, they're most of the crews I work with. They're amazing, but they're so beaten down by budgets and this and all these constraints, recognizing that what we can do creatively with nothing is so much better than we can do with a huge budget and the constraints that we put on people to stay in their lane and don't do, you know, yeah. people that feel like they don't matter, man, it's crazy. I, I think the first real time I, I saw that sentiment was working with you. And I don't know if you're, because you're the common denominator here, if, if you're the one who brings this to set, but it makes me think that's the way that this company was set up. And that's, that's beef and pie. And that's the first time I kind of worked on an ego list production where the PA could have a good idea and the DP would listen. And I have not been on a set, um, you know, since, since we started the, the pop fizz thing. Um, I have not been on a set where there's anyone's been yelled at where anybody's been picked up and thrown by, by, a, by a, 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 an AD or a director, um, which I've seen. Um, and people, a lot of times when they come to our productions specifically, they, they're freaked out by how, by how there is none of that. There's no ego. There's not screaming. There's not yelling, but that's kind of been prevalent in the industry for a long time. It was funny because a lot of the early, very early in my career, a lot of the ADs that I worked with were screamers. They're military and, guys, yeah, right? Exactly. Well, uh, whether they're military or not, drill they, sergeants. They, they, yeah, they, they. That's that was their their impetus. That was how they they went. You know, they they approached their job. And when I first got asked to AD, I was working for a company called Scene Three, and um. You know, I'd been working with this crew, in-house crew, for years, and I knew what everybody could do, and and I didn't feel like I needed to yell at them. I just need to give them the, give them the information they needed, and the job will get done. Yeah, you know, these guys are all good at what they did. Um, and I'll never forget getting called into the owner's office, and he goes, you know, I hear there was trouble on the set. You know, it's a problem. I said, well, I handled it. You know, we got through it. It's all, all good. Well, I need to know if there's problems on the set. Well, you know, if you want me to run the set, let me run the set. Yeah. Well, you, you don't need to be friends with these guys. You need to yell at them. You need to yell at them. I said, that's not how I work. They're all real good at what they do. I just need to give them the information. He slams his hand on the, damn it, figure out, get out of my office. You know, and, you know. Very shortly after that, pink slips were flying. You know, one of the few jobs I've been fired from in my in my lifetime. But it was a great learning experience for me. You know, to to recognize that there are people that expect that. Yeah. You know, uh, that that expect. You know, the only way to gain respect is to take it. Did know. you start to doubt yourself when 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 
I you're was, doing things a different way than everybody else, and it's being called into question, even though it's clearly working. I, I think I think I, I was back then. I was too young and ignorant to to realize that I was doing something the wrong way. Maybe really, I just thought, you know, these people mattered more than right whether I'm doing this right. And as long as the results are happening, let's go with it. Yeah, you know why? You know why do I have to go by a set of rules that? You're telling me I'm supposed to yell at these people. I don't understand that rule book when we can do it this way and we all walk away and go sit at the bar and have a good time afterwards, you know? Yeah. Um, but is is there some sort of like, I don't know, Is it, 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 it seems like <laughs> living in L.A., working on some film crews out there, like people were just gluttons for punishment to keep coming back to these long hours where you get treated like shit. And and it seemed like just an industry norm, but it is so much better to go home at the end of the day. We've worked 12 hour days the last, you know, two, if not more the last couple days. And, and the producers are having to run us away from the grip truck at the end of the day. Cause we just want to sit down and shoot the shit with each other. Cause we love, you know, cause we love each other you for standing here, yeah. get this truck off the lot. I yeah. get it. Yeah. 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 But, but, but tell me that, tell me that after you've been browbeaten for 12 hours, you want to sit around and talk, no, talk to your you're, crew. You're you trying, don't. You're trying to bolt as quick as you can, yeah. and, and you end up licking your wounds and coming back with your head down low, and where is the chance? Yeah, after an hour car ride full of resentment home and an hour car ride full of resentment back. Where's the chance for magic on that set? It's not there. Because to make the set comfortable enough to truly create magic, in my eyes, every person on that set becomes a part of that magic. From the PA all the way to the director and everybody in between, yeah. unless you can have that kind of synergy, okay, your chances for magic, you but, you know, are, are slim. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm amazed that we paired up, um, especially when you throw Brian Allen in the mix, because he doesn't come from the business, he doesn't come from the industry. He's you know he's never been on a set that's not a pop fist. <laughs> You know, and to me, that's why there has been a chance to foster this type of culture. Right. What what has become known as the pop fizz culture is because uh, he didn't go through the rule book. He didn't have bad habits to break. Exactly. We just <laughs> said, okay, how do we want to make this? Yeah. Okay. And I love it. I do too. I absolutely love it. Because there's there's a chance for me to actually spread love on the set, <laughs> you know. It, it'll be received. Yeah, and you know we we keep talking about magic. There is no magic without some love in there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, and and I've said this you know a number of times to a number of people. You know, you want it. You want real magic. You know, pick up the gospels. And and how many times in the Gospels before Christ, you want real magic miracles? Okay, before the miracle happened, you know, someone was healed or or uh, you know water was turned to wine. He looked at them, he loved them, and then he did this. Hmm. He looked at them and he loved them, and then he did this. Until we learn to start with love in anything we're doing, whether it's film work or just you know meeting somebody on the street until we learn to look at people and love first we don't have a chance mm. 
we don't have a chance. You want to talk about Black Lives Matter and all this shit that's going on in, in, in our world today? Until we have a chance to start, start everything, love first and then react, mm. we don't have a chance. And that's just, the older I get, that's just the way I want to live. That's the way I want to try to, and I don't do it all the time. I'm just as weak as the next guy. But that's what I'm going to strive for. So I don't care whether I'm doing a commercial or whether I'm doing a, a feature film or, you know, or, or a podcast. <laughs> I want to love first and then react. I love it. It's infectious, Fig. We can't, I don't know. There's no way to be around you and not be excited about what you're doing and who you are. Conversation. I, I, I get magic out of a conversation with you. <laughs> well, I hope it's the love. Yeah, it because is. it's just proving my point. It is. And I can finally tell my brother I'm right. Which one, Tommy? <laughs> Don. Don. Is he older? <laughs> He's older yeah, I, yeah. and probably my best friend in the world. <laughs> um, but uh, he's seen a, a, a lifetime of bullshit come out of this mouth <laughs> and called me on it every time. <laughs> The only person that knows you better oh, than you do. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's always, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with some useless piece of trivia information on some subject. And how do you know that? That's bullshit. I call you on that. That's bullshit. <laughs> All right, look it up. Look it up. <laughs> and, you know, I got a 50-50 shot of being right. <laughs> Hey, and, you don't and, always, I a, and I got a 50-50 shot of him not actually looking it up, so I, then exactly. I can just say I'm right, right. You don't always have to be right. You just have to be certain, you know? <laughs> well, so what all, what all do you have coming up? I mean, you've, you've, you, I know you work with us a little bit, but um, you do the, the PBR thing, the bull riding stuff, right? You've done, you do some stuff I, with the I, Titans. I, I had done a lot of that, but, you know, COVID's hit everybody really hard, yeah. and, and everything in my world has kind of changed. Um but over the last, uh, well, I I made a, a retreat with the church um, back in 2009 that really has um, influenced my path a bunch. Um, you guys went somewhere? Did you it, lead a group? It, it's, it's, it's a it's a, a retreat called Curcio in the Catholic Church and, and a lot of different churches. It's known by another name, uh, Trace Dias, uh, Walk to Emmaus. In, uh, I think it's a Methodist church. There's different names for it. Same kind of thing. Basic, all, all it is, it's a three-day weekend where you sit down. Um, guys go one weekend, and then spouses or women go the next weekend. And you sit down, and you talk about everything. You know, there's talks given all weekend. Um, basically, cloister yourself. No phones, no technology, nothing. You get away from all that stuff. And really break break down what and recognize what you have made important in your life up to this point what you want it to be and then where's your relationship with your god um and and it gives you a lot to think about um uh and and to me that perspective away from all the noise you know, the technology that has completely consumed us over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, 
you know, we were created uh, and what really differentiates us from all the other animals on the planet is we have the ability to think and to wonder, to ponder, to really, um, you know, expand ourselves with just our minds. And I see myself even, you know, slowly shutting more and more of that off because I don't have to think. I can just pick up my phone and tell me what to do. Right. I got my schedules. I got yeah. this. I got that. You know, and if and, and, and if I don't understand something, well, I just call Google and he'll tell me what it's all about. I don't right. have to try and figure out a problem anymore. I can just. Yeah. So that, that, that thing that distinguishes us the most from just every other animal on the planet, we're kind of squashing. <laughs> I, I feel you. Our our advantage, we're losing our advantage, or we're we're ignoring our advantage, so and replacing it with Google the crutch. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I've been finding myself trying to to really find what is my vehicle going to be to step back and 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 really try and keep that sharp and real. Um, and COVID was a terrible terrible thing is a terrible thing um but you know out of the ashes um you know one of my prayers has been especially in troubled times you know what do you want me to see here you know what is it i'm supposed to learn from this and it, it gave me plenty of time to think and to start pondering and wondering again um one of the most significant things that happened to me was, um, you know, spending 40 years in this industry and, and having a strong faith. It was like, Lord, how can, how am I supposed to use this, you know, to help further the kingdom? This, all of this knowledge, film knowledge and media knowledge you've given me, you know, I should be able to do something, right? Um, and so COVID hit and nobody could go to church. You know, in my parish, there's 25, 3,500 families that can't worship. Hmm. And guess what? I can bring a camera and, and a buddy and rig up some sound stuff. We can probably figure out how to stream this thing. I've never done it before, but let's just figure it out. You yeah. know, I got another mountain I need to climb, right? <laughs> so I started streaming the masses at my church. And all of these people were just so thankful and wondered. It just all this outpouring thank you so much for helping us so that we can have mass right in our homes you know and i figured this is it this is my moment really you know lord you've given me a reason to help further the church and i got into the deepest darkest place i think i've been in my life how dude it was just freaky here i am doing what i think I spent the last 40 years learning this so that I could do this for the church. And now I just got the darkest place I've ever been in. Why? Ran out of hills to climb? I don't. I started sifting through it, started praying about it. You know, what is this? You know, because I used to go, I'd get up in the morning. I had my routine, man. You know, I'd get up. I'd read my Jesus calling before I left the house. I'd get in the car. I'd listen to the, the readings on the way to daily mass. I'd go to 630 mass every morning and then stay with the old ladies afterwards and, and play, pray the rosary. And, man, I'd sit out in the parking lot and read Bishop Robert Barron's homily and compare it to the homily I just heard in the mass. I was bulletproof for I Right. My day even began. It's right. 8 o'clock, and I am ready to go. <laughs> Hit me with whatever you want, man. And all that just got washed away. It took but, away your routine? 
Is that what it was? There's no more. There's no more mass. There's, you know, okay. Yeah. There's no more routine. But here I am. I'm using using my talents to be able to. I'm the only person in the parish of 3,500 people going to mass. Yeah, who got it? Because I'm there. Yeah, and I get to receive communion and and everything. And I'm in the darkest place. Lord, what's going on? I prayed about it for probably, I don't know, four or five weeks. And the answer came back, Michael, Michael, I don't need you to save the kingdom. I've already done that. <laughs> it's not about what you do. It's who you are, <laughs> why you're doing it. Okay. All right. I need to be better. I can be better, but why am I in this dark place? Why am I in such a dark place? Why did you take away my routine? Michael, were you in a good place because the security you had was the routine or was it me? Hmm. Is it me that gives you security? Are you truly have faith in me or did you have faith in that routine? Hmm. Man, hard lessons. Yeah. Hard lessons. You're you're relying on, on the human part of it, not don't the we, spiritual part. Don't of we it. always? Yeah, I think so. How do we how do we find a way of trusting in our darkest moments and not making it about us? Oh, he doesn't need it to be about us. Right. What he needs is for us to let him in. To recognize that I am completely, completely loved. He loves me. He gave me something. When my daughter was in the grade school, seventh or eighth grade, you know, young girls can be cruel. One day she's best friends with the girls and she's in her class, and the next day she's coming home crying because, you know, they're being girls. Um, and uh, so she'd come home, and her and my wife would go and shut the door, and I'd hear a bunch of crying and everything, and going, and I'd like, I'm dad, maybe it's my baby girl. I want, hey, I want to fix this. I'm, first, I'm going to go wring those girls' necks, and then, I, you know, I want to yeah. take care of my girl. And I yeah. know it's all right. Well, this went on for weeks, and and you know, Robin would kind of explain to me what's going on after the fact, but no real, you know, daddy come to the rescue, which. How old was your, was your kid? She's, you know, uh, 10, 12, okay. something like that. The fun years. Yeah. <laughs> so one day, I'm not working, as, as freelancers will do. She comes home from school, and I grab her up, pull her in her room, close the door, and I said, okay, what's going on? Tell me what's going on in school. And she proceeds to try to tell me, and the sobs start coming, and it's just a match. And it's like, you know, okay. And then it was almost like an out-of-body experience. I could almost see myself having this conversation with her. I said, Natalie, you're going to do things in your lifetime that I'm going to hate. The way, you, the way you yell at your mom. The way you fight with your brothers. The way you talk back to the referees on the soccer field. <laughs> These things I'm going to hate. But there's nothing you can do, ever do, or ever say no matter what you do, I'll always love you. And no matter what you do, no matter what you say, I will love you no matter what. And we hugged and we cried and we had our moment. And I thank you. Thank you, Lord. 
And I get up to leave and I'm walking out the door and I said, I love you. And she says, no matter what. <laughs> wow. And then I notice she'll sign her text, not Natalie, but no matter what. Really? We'd be watching them. That's great. We'd be watching a TV show and somebody on the show would say no matter what. Her head would snap around and my head would snap around. It was like, man. That's your guys' thing. And I noticed she's holding herself a little taller and she's not having issues because she knew she was loved no matter what. Right. There's a motif here. And it wasn't until I made Curcio with the church hmm. that I realized that that moment wasn't meant for us. That was him telling me how he loves me, no matter what, right. no matter what I've done, no matter what I've said, no matter what I've, how I've, you know, fallen away. He doesn't care about that. He loves me no matter what. And I can always come back. I can always have that if I choose. But he loves me so much, he's not ever going to force it on me. <laughs> I got to choose him. It's got to be your choice. So I can choose to jump into this phone and to the society that, you know, throws all this stuff at me. I got to try and keep up and do all this stuff. Or I can say, you know what? Whatever happens today happens. You got me. Show me. Show me your adventure today. That's been my prayer. I get up in the morning. I know I got all this stuff I got to do. But show me what you have for me today. If it's the worst day I have on set in my life, so be it. Mm. Show me the lesson I need to learn there. If it's the best day I have on set, all the glory to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but in the midst of that, the, all, the only thing he asked me, the last thing he asked the disciples when he left was love as I have loved. So if I just have faith in him, love first, He'll take care of those two second things we need on the set. He'll take care of the rain when we need it to stop. Or we'll be inside on the day when it's raining. <laughs> or we'll be inside on the day it's raining. He's got a plan, baby, and it's much better than mine. Oh, I love it. Let's see, you know, Fig, I, I uh, you, you meet a lot of a lot of Christians, a lot of religious people, in, in particular, who like to talk about how Christ, who, uh, who like to talk about how Jesus lived. But I really feel like you embody it. You you do you really do, man. You honor me. <laughs> you really do. You you put your money where your mouth is. And I appreciate that. It's not about a facade. It's not about how it looks. It's not about how you appear to the to your community or everybody else. It it really is how you live. And I think that's the right part about the whole thing in general what's about about religion in in general and i forget the quote the i think it was gandhi or something like that i like your christianity but i wish your christians were more like your christ <laughs> you know well think about who he was in the day okay he wasn't part of the church they crucified him yeah, okay? he was a rebel <laughs> he was he was a radical okay he was against all of the the you know what the church was was forcing on people he also said i came to enforce the law not to abolish it you know pe people take that the wrong way they say oh yeah he was a radical so i don't need the church no 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 no, no. that's not what he can the radical was here's the law and here's what you've added to it. We need to throw that added shit out and get back to the real stuff, okay? 
you know. It's not I, up to your interpretation, I, buddy. Yeah, I, I gave you the law. Stop interpreting the way you want to. Yeah. Okay. And that's a, and that's the really scary thing right now. Yes. Is people don't recognize the law still stands. Yeah. It's pretty black and white. Yeah. He said, if you know the lukewarm, I spit from my mouth. <laughs> you can't just have it your way. You can't. You can't just use. You, you, you can't just you know in, interpret law or whatever it is to work for you when it's convenient. Yes. It it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> no. Well, how do I do that in today's day and time is what the next question is. I just can't do that. I can't do that. So I'm just going to do my thing. Well, no, you can do it. Right. Everybody can do it. But the only way to do it, you got to start with love. Okay. You got that? You're looking at this person ahead in front of you that <laughs> drives you crazy and, 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 and pisses you off. And okay, have you can you love that person first? Because once you love that person and act then, all those laws that are in place, you, you can't miss. Right. It's the problem is we're trying to live without that love in place first. If you do that, you're never gonna hit the mark. If you don't have the love in place first. If you don't have the right. love in place. If you can't yeah. love first in everything you do, you're, you're not going to hit the mark. And, and, the, and the problem is we think that that's the mark. This mark over here, this success, this. No, go hit that mark and see how happy you are. Mm. How many crazily successful people are freaking miserable. Yeah. Why, why is, why is, don't why? really know what true joy is. Never experienced true joy, true love. Once you've had that, hmm. you know. My, my two cheat codes are uh, are gratitude and compassion. When I'm feeling myself slip into slip into a resentful place or a place where I'm having arguments in my head with somebody, you know, <laughs> over problems that don't exist yet. That's when I. That's when I think of gratitude grateful to be here grateful to be on earth and breathing and compassion that person maybe have that person needs love too that that person is fallible just like me but i have to be compassionate i have to love them and that always gets me back and centered and i think that's what you're talking about it's exactly what i'm talking about yeah okay and unless we can can have compassion in all things and a thankful heart in all things even in the, the bad stuff Thankful that I'm even here to experience the bad stuff. And here's the deal. If you want to be able to love in all aspects of your life, the good and the bad, you need to understand sacrifice. You need to understand suffering. Suffering is good. Yeah, you need some context, right? But, yes. I mean, how do you, how do you, un if your life is lived in this just straight, no problems, how do you compare? How do you? The only way to. Uh, I used to explain it this way. Uh, joy, there's a reciprocal effect. Until you can feel the real bottom and the lows of life, how do you measure the highs? Mm. If everything's lived on an even keel, you know, you've got nothing to compare to. Sacrifices and, and suffering is a huge, huge part of understanding joy and happiness. Without it, there's no context. Mm. Agreed. So uh, we need to be 
thankful in all the suffering that comes down the line and, and accept it. In fact, we need to we need to make sure we have it in our lives to take time to sacrifice, sacrifice for someone, you know, do something that you wouldn't do that that may cause you pain or or or, or discomfort for someone else. Now you're getting the thankfulness, the sacrifice and the compassion all rolled up into one. And let me tell you something. The backside of that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 equals good. Right. There. <sighs> That's living. Now we're living. <laughs> Everything else is just, you know, going through the motions. So uh, when are the CMAs? Oh, this month. <laughs> are they? Oh, yes. It's a big time. It's a big time for, for Nashville. I remember calling, trying to book a sound man in, uh, in Nashville. Um, I don't know. It was probably six or eight years ago. And... Uh, by the time I got to the twelfth sound man to try to book one for that for the week of the CMAs, I didn't know the the CMAs were in town until about the third guy turned me down and said I'm in I'm on the CMAs or promos for the CMAs and you know everybody else probably is too. It was about the twelfth one that I got to and got his voicemail. He was like, "Hey, this is blah blah blah. Uh, if you're calling about the week of uh, <laughs> October twenty first through twenty eighth, no, I am booked. And it used <laughs> no to be the same thing during the music fest in, Ju- really? in June and July. Yeah, you know, because you had music fest in Bonnaroo happening. You know, yeah. For a while they were two weeks apart, then they were a week apart, and then for a couple of years they were on the same week, and you mm. couldn't you couldn't fly enough crew in. Right. Um, but I found out real, very early on. And it was part of my strategy um, when I was actually trying to insert my own thoughts and strategies into my life <laughs> that when all these people are jumping on features and CMA and all these other things, I'm just going to hold off mm. and wait and wait. And the week before, when everybody's panicked for crew, dude, I write my own ticket. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be the, I'll pick up all the scraps ah. and it worked really well for a lot of years. Okay. I gotcha. <laughs> really, I do anything but the CMA. Okay. Cause yeah. there's people that need people because yeah. CMA is covering everything else up yeah. and you can't find somebody. You got to do a job. Well, you know what? My rate just went up. <laughs> <laughs> so. What else are the big hitters in Nashville right now? That are that are uh, you know they get the CMAs. I know Bonnaroo has been canceled two years in a row now. And uh, and you know uh, I have to admit um, I'm a little out of the loop. You travel more now, right? You you've well, got your you've got your people that you work with, and you work with as, them when you want to. <laughs> uh, God is good, and um, the best year I've had in my career. Um, uh, middle of. 2018 summer of 2018 FCC you know for years there's been this thing going on for sound companies the FCC um, wireless mics have become a huge part of of all sound industries whether it be stage concert stuff or what we do in in film and and television and there's frequencies involved Uh, and regulations and and there was a block of frequencies that have kind of been just kind of been open up for grabs and because we're using devices that are low power devices okay you can put a battery in it and it transmits you know uh, if you're lucky half a mile uh, if you're not so lucky you know, a couple hundred yards um, we didn't have to license any of this stuff okay and the FCC is the big government corporation the federal communications um, corporation is that what it is commission commission thank you um, 
and they hold the governmental keys to these to the frequencies to the waves to to the (laughs) yeah to the frequency waves out there over that fly you know happen to be over the continental united states so to that end we've been fine until cell phones and you know uh, 3g 4g now 5g yeah they need more bandwidth yeah because now we're pushing data over our phones and these phones are so complex and the technology to help us out and keep us connected <laughs> keeps getting more and more complex and needing more bandwidth well you know it's been a fight for it uh and t-mobile made the fcc an offer of six billion dollars to suck up a bunch of the white space which is the frequency space that we were using for a lot of our wireless mics and the government said well i mean dolly parton had gone in front of uh you know uh, government commissions for years uh, everybody was trying to fight to keep these things open for us because you know the touring companies and, and all of the entertainment industry you know we need that uh well money talks money talks baby yeah. here we go and so uh, the FCC sold off a bunch of white space to T-Mobile for their 5G stuff. So does that render all your gear useless? All, all of sound, my, all of my. Now gear? I, I had six wireless mics right. in those frequencies. Okay, you got people like Claire Brothers and and all these big touring companies. Kind of a that warehouse bullshit. Hundreds of and thousands of wireless mics in those frequencies that now are useless paperweights yes uh, luckily for them they're a global company so they can send those over to europe or to asia and use them over there right uh me uh, i'm not a global company i'm not even a national company dude right. i work try to try to work as close to home as possible but now i've got six wireless mics i gotta replace and um so took out a 12-month interest-free credit card loan to yeah. get me some new wireless and and that payment was coming up to 1700 bucks a month that's bigger than my mortgage and yeah. you know and i was doing good december january of 19 2019 um by the i think it was the 17th day of the month i'd worked two days mm. and that wasn't even enough to pay my mortgage let alone pay the 1700 yeah, yeah. and if i missed the payment all the interest that yeah. I wasn't paying comes due. Yeah. And so I got to one of those spots where it's like, okay, you know, I, I can't do this, you know, and every day my Jesus calling in January was telling me, trust in me, trust me, trust me, you know? So I said, okay, you want me to trust you? I'm all in. If I miss my payment and the interest comes due on this stuff, and I can't pay it and I lose my equipment, so be it. If I lose my equipment and I can't pay my mortgage and lose my house, this is what you want from me, so be it. If my wife decides that because I can't pay the house note and I've lost the house and she wants to leave me, if that's what it takes to trust you, so be it. I'm in, I'm all in. And I pushed all my chips on the table. That was like the 17th. Of January, 2019. From the 21st of January to May 6th, I had five days off. (laughs) There was nothing on the books up until that that commitment. Five days off. It's just another sign for you, huh? 2019 was the biggest year I ever had. After after you made the deal. In my whole career. After you you made your commitment. So I'm, you know... 
by um, you know August, I'm flying high. It's like you know this is fabulous. Not only am am I doing better than I ever had, and again, as freelancers, we get four calls for the same day. Mm-hmm. I mean, how yep. many times does it happen in your life? All the time. It happens every week. Every you know, every job seemed to just fit right between the next one. Okay, I didn't have overlapping jobs anywhere. It was like, dude, <laughs> Cog not, wheels. not oh yeah. Not only do I not have to worry about this, but I got a. It's like I got a secretary and a, and, a, and somebody organizing my schedule, and everything just seems to be working. It's like, man, this is fabulous because that's how much he loves me, right? You got God as your virtual assistant right there. Boom. <laughs> and that's uh, good stuff, Fig. So we get to uh, September, and I get into you know one of these jobs that I did for a number of years. As I produced, uh, helped produce the uh, um, the World Finals promos for the PBR, and we did this the every Pro th- Bowl riding, Pro Bowl riding, um, and it's a big deal. They, it's like the NBA for bull riding, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 top of the rung for them, and uh, CBS. Um, has been uh, showing you know, the PBR is big on the CBS Sports Network, and and we would produce not only promos for the World Final event in Vegas, um, but we would also do um, from that cut videos for to show in the venue before each night of the event, um, and every three or four years we do a whole another round of these things, and it was our year to do it. And, they came up with this crazy idea to literally buck bulls as if it was a barn party. So they wanted to bring live three, bulls into a barn, three or 400 people stacked in a barn, like a big barn party. Okay. Put a band on a stage and then be bucking bulls at the same time. Okay. Okay. Here we go. And this, this is your job to pull it off. This is what you want me to produce. Okay. Here we go, Lord. <laughs> And uh, in August, um, end of August every year, uh, beginning of September is when the tour comes through Nashville and they do work at the Bridgestone Arena and they're bucking bulls there. So the bulls are going to be at the arena and their producers in town, producers in town, (laughs) the director lives in Nashville. This is perfect. Okay. So we decide uh, we're going to try and build a set in Bridgestone Arena has a huge rehearsal hall. Um, a lot of the tours out of Nashville will rehearse their tours in that rehearsal hall. It's a huge, big open space. We're going to build a a set inside this rehearsal hall, two two level, two story set, and make it so we can actually bring live bulls in there and buck bulls with a band, live band, and whole night and four, 300, 400 people, four hundred people, <laughs> and. Uh, is so, it like a mezzanine, like a balcony around the, oh yeah. the bulls bucking I, I, down low uh, and yeah. a band play a live oh, band? Oh, dude. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you can find some of that stuff on YouTube. I bet you can. It was a, the set ended up being absolutely amazing, and we pulled it off. And again, because the PBR is not the NBA or uh, you know uh, Major yeah, League no. Baseball, nowhere near the NFL, they don't have that kind of cash. So I'm not dealing with... NFL style funds to do this. We're doing this on a budget and trying to make it work. And um, again, amazing job the crew did. Set people, everything just was just 
spot on incredible. Um, and we pulled it off, but during that process, um, and again, uh, we're all human. We can get to thinking that and forget about who's taking care of business, you know? Um, and for whatever reason, in the middle of that process, um, uh, what had happened was also in January of 2019, the same time I made this commitment, my insurance agent came to me and said, your life insurance is going to lapse in June. Um, and it's going to be real expensive to, you know, re up with you being this old, you know, you turn pop 20 year turn, 20 years ago, you're a lot skinnier and, and <laughs> a lot, lot farther away from dying. And, <laughs> yeah. And a lot farther away from dying. So this is going to be expensive. Yeah. But if there's some way you could drop like 40 pounds by June, I could save you probably, you know, 150 bucks a month. And I'm going, Phew, sounds pretty good. 50 bucks a month. Okay. And as it were, my wife has been a Weight Watcher counselor for the last 20 years, and she's never pushed it on me. She's accepted me the roly-poly way that I am. <laughs> so I turned to her in January. I said, okay, honey, it's time. You know, how do I do this? And so she took my phone, put the app on my phone, and I just literally started counting points in January. And when July rolled around, I was 60 pounds down. Damn. Feeling good, baby. Going to get this life insurance. Is this right? Was this when the PBR, the barn party is about to happen? Yeah. I'm, I start in July is when we started pre-production and uh, middle of September is when we were going to shoot. So all through August, we're pre-pro, pre-pro and, and getting it set. And, uh, and actually we, we shot in August. Yeah. Cause it was September when I ended up having to have the, uh, uh, the biopsies. But anyhow, I, I uh, go to take the blood test for the insurance, and they say uh, your PSA levels are not are high. You need to go see a urologist, and go to see the urologist. And he says, "Well, their tests are kind of funky. This let me do another test." And he does another test. And he goes, "Well, actually, my test came back higher than theirs. We need to do a biopsy." And lo and behold, you have prostate cancer. Oh, man. So here I am. Okay, Lord. Okay, I'm trusting you. I'm letting you run my world. Okay. Why would you? I've lost all this weight to get this insurance. Okay. I'm doing all the right things, right? Why would you throw cancer in the mix here? And and here's the best part. They do the biopsy. And this prostate cancer you got, I'm just going to tell you, if you were my brother, I told you not to worry about it. It's the slowest growing cancer we know. That's what your doctor's telling yeah. you? Yeah. He said, slowest growing cancer, you know. I don't even think we need to treat it, okay? Because you, in 12 you know, in twelve samples, it was only a little bit in one of them. You barely got any in you. I think we just check your blood every three months, and as long as your PSA levels stay fine, you know, you'll you'll never know you have it. You know, most, most guys die with prostate cancer, don't even know they have it. Mm. It's not going to, you know, everything's working, right? I said, yeah, yeah, all the plumbing works. Why, you know, so why even bother? So great, but that means you can't have the GDP insurance because you've been labeled with cancer. Right. Oh, guess what? The thing that you love to do the most, give blood, uh, can't take your blood no more. Wait, so, why? Why? Because I have cancer. So Red Cross won't take the blood. 
Oh, oh, you're saying you like to give blood to I, the... To, yeah, to, one of my yeah. favorite things to do is I go uh, give blood every every okay. six, eight okay. weeks. You gotcha. know? Again, trying to give back where I can. Right. You know? And that was... My, I wanted to be one of those guys that got the the little plaque for giving a gallon of blood. Yeah. You know? I mean, come on, you know the other guys on the walls that have given you know multiple gallons of blood. Those that's cool, man. Yeah, I, yeah. I won't be one of those guys. Um, yeah, but I can't get blood anymore unless I treat it. And why would I treat it? Because the treatments. Yeah, because you're far gonna, worse you're, than that. Yeah, you're going to die before it. Yeah, yeah. before it uh, before it kills you. So, you know, if if God really loves me. What's this all about? So okay. you're, st- you're still you're, you're, so, you're so still here's, questioning. Here's here's a chance for your faith. Oh come on, man. We're human, right? Yeah. That's what faith's all about. Yeah. If there isn't doubt, how can there be faith? Okay, I feel you. You'll always have yeah. doubt, and don't ever fear that. That's a good thing. You need to have that doubt so that you can have the faith to say, okay, because I'm doubting this. Yes, I choose you. Without that doubt, there's not a choice. I got you. And he will never take that choice away from you. So there will always be doubt. So here I am. Okay, Lord, I'm doing all the right things, right? You know, and you've been taking care of me. Why would you take care of this? So I started praying about it. And sure enough, you know, you got to wait for those answers. Four or five weeks later, answer comes. Okay, Michael, for 57 years. You have absolutely abused this temple I've given you, whether it be eating all the wrong foods, doing all the wrong drugs, whatever it is that you've done throughout your life. You abuse this. You don't work out. You don't take care of it. And suddenly, because you're going to save 150 bucks a month, Mm. you're going to do the right thing. Okay. I see. Is it about money? Mm -hmm. Or is it about taking care of what I gave you? Because you're thankful. Man, you're good at this, Fig. I'm not good. You're good at getting the lesson. No, but you got to listen. Yeah. He will tell you, give you everything if if you just listen. That's the thing. So, so. So what's next? What happens? What happens next? Well, you, I went through, my, went through my pity party and I put 20 pounds back on and did all the wrong things. And now I'm trying to okay, do it for the right reasons. Okay. Forget about the insurance. Yeah. yeah because yeah. he gave me and this body has served me through all of the abuse I've, I've given it. Well, let's try and do the right thing. Let's try and 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 shed those pounds and, and maybe try walking once a day or, you know, at yeah. least once a week, Michael, you know, um, and uh, then, and then the next thing happens, you know, his, okay, I still love you. Let me show you how much I love you. COVID comes around and work's going away, but did the bull riding thing go off? All right. Oh, the bull riding thing was a huge hit masterpiece, huge hit. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, you know, you're searching for things. Um, the beginning of that year, 2019, I'd had a client who, um, Harper, Harper Christian publishing, who I had been doing some just corporate stuff for them, helping them with, with, um, streaming some of their marketing meetings. Cause they've got offices in you know, two different places and they want to do these meetings live and just helping out here and there. And, and, um, my guy over there comes to me and says, you know, I've got authors. Audible's getting huge, and I got authors. I'm having trouble getting into studios to record these things. And you're a location guy. 
is there any way that you might be able to go to them and record them reading their books and then edit it for us and, and put this together? Yeah, so there's like this mm-hmm. phenomenon over the last few years to where nobody wants to hear a, a, a no-name read read people's books anymore. They want to hear Barack Obama read Barack Obama's book, right? Well, it for audible it is the same reason why people get so interested in actors in in football players it's the you know why do we do epks on on musicians you know electronic press kits because i love your music but i want to know where your music comes from Mm. i want to know you again we're driven for relationship we want to have a relationship with this actor or barack obama or or and the only way i can do that is to get to know you and how do i get to know you Read your book. Read your book. Yeah. You know, listen to your your, your uh, behind the scenes. Look at the documentary. Yeah. People are just, there's a hunger for all that. Yeah. But that's kind of a new thing, right? To have authors read their it, own books. It, it truly is. And so I started, you know, loading up some of my sound gear and driving to Houston or wherever I'm going to where this author is and setting up in their living room or their, their church conference room or whatever it is and... and having them read their books and there's just one here this year one there that year in 2019 i think i did three and the first one i did um one christian audio book of the year from, from audible really in the audio awards and suddenly you know okay harper likes this because you know it's working um the authors like it because for them to go to a studio most of them don't know you know, what yeah. being in a studio is like, so it's a little bit intimidating. We get back to that that environment. Yeah. How, do, how do we catch capture the magic of of what these people were, you know, where they were when they were writing this? Well, they go in a studio and they're intimidated. And, and, of course, the studio, they want to do music, and it's like a punishment for the engineer. So sure. he didn't want to sit there for three days hitting record on one microphone. Yeah, he doesn't care. So there's, <laughs> no, there's, there's no environment there that fosters any kind of magic. So I go and take take them in some place where they're comfortable and their house their house <laughs> their living room where, wherever they're comfortable and and sit down and talk them through it and 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 try and get them back in Man, that space that, that's so perfect you for know. you and so it started to take off i mean this year i've already done 10 books and i've got another one to do in november so i'm slowly i'm not yeah, my father in heaven is slowly phasing me out of the film business and, and into this audiobook thing. Well, and it's something you can do, for, I mean, for, for as long as you want, seemingly. I mean, yeah. it's travel, I guess. But And you're so uniquely just, I couldn't think of a person who would be more... Uh, well positioned to do it. Maybe Sam Thomas that produces this podcast. I mean, I, I can't think of people who can go into somebody's living room as a one, as one man and actually care about uh about the about the product like a like you would a a, a six piece band that you might win a grammy for and make that artist feel good make that author feel like they can be themselves and also you know use, using your your knowledge to to capture it but what's more important to me is following his lead God's lead and don't care as much about the product care more about the person yeah you know if I take care of the person the product will take care of itself yep Yep. that's that's the only way I can approach it well will you still will you still answer the phone when we call you I did this week (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I hope you always do because speaking of love, I love you, man. I have since the moment I met you and uh, it's it just grows, dude. No matter what. Yeah, no matter what, baby. I don't want to steal Natalie's line, but <laughs> I love you no matter what. Thanks for doing this, Fig. I appreciate it a lot. And I know we've been trying to get this going for a while. Wow. So I sent you the first one. I've, uh, and I've listened to a number of them. Have you? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And you're, you're killing it, baby. Thanks, man. You're killing it. Well, I love you. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, maybe we can do it again sometime. Just ring me. Take care. A tear or two was shed. It was fun. I appreciate you guys being here and, and, and being a part of my time, my special time that I got to spend with my friend, Michael Figlio. Don't forget... If you want to be a part of the podcast, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash south of scruffy. It's a way you can support the podcast and help us keep it on the rails because we obviously have trouble keeping things on the rails around here. But I appreciate you guys being here. Take care. Be good to each other. Love, 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 right? Did you listen to the man? He says love. All right. Take care. We'll talk to you guys real soon. Pitch wire. Play me out.